everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined in the studio by my brother and producer, Joel. And today we have a dark and twisted one for you, that's for sure. If you're about to eat a meal or a snack for that matter, I would uh, give you a little forewarning here. This is a very disturbing and disgusting episode and you may not want to eat while listening. Today we're going to be talking about an absolutely sick and dark individual, Madame Delphine LaLaurie and her house of horrors. This is a very, very dark one, that's for sure. Uh, A lot of the things that she did is really, really hard to wrap your head around that uh, somebody could do this to another human being. But this was a a very different time in history. And, you know, not that that really means anything, but uh, it's really, you know, we're talking about slavery. We're talking about a lot of very uh, dark things. So buckle up. This one's going to be wild. But before we get into today's story, we have some good news. And the good news is that Lights Out Merch has officially launched. Right now, if you go to milehiremerch.com, click Lights Out, you will see our full merch collection. This is our very first collection we've ever done. There's some really cool stuff on there. We've got some hoodies, zip-ups, pullovers. We've got tees. We've got grinders, stickers, hats. We got all of that good shit that you guys have been asking for. So yeah, definitely check out the merch collection. I'm not sure if we'll be restocking any of these designs, so... If you want something, go and get it before it sells out because I'm not sure if we'll restock or not. But yeah, this will be the first merch collection of many. We plan to do hopefully a new drop every month or so, uh, depending on what you guys want. And it will continue to evolve along with the show. Another way you can support the show for free is actually by going to iTunes and Spotify and clicking subscribe or follow depending on which platform you're on. This helps us because a lot of you I know are watching on YouTube and YouTube doesn't factor into podcast performance. So it just helps us out, helps our numbers out a bit. If you go and do that for us, it takes a minute. And yeah, we'd really appreciate it if you went ahead and did that as well as if, you know, while you're on iTunes, especially if you want to leave us a rating review, that would be awesome too. We'll have links to the merch, to iTunes, Spotify, everything that you need below. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Madame LaLaurie and her fucked up mansion. So for today's story, we're going to be going back in time, back to the 1700s, 1800s, especially is what we're going to be focusing on. And again, this time in history was just completely different from anything you or I have experienced. Sometimes it's really hard to wrap your head around what life was like back in the 1800s. So hopefully I can kind of paint a picture for you and give you some background and some history on who Madame LaLaurie actually was, because she is definitely a very dark individual. So Madame LaLaurie was born Marie Delphine McCarty, and she was born on March 19, 1787 in New Orleans. And at this particular time in history, New Orleans was a Spanish colony still. And during her childhood and early adulthood, Louisiana's territory was transferred from one country to another multiple times. And as a result of this, Madame LaLaurie witnessed the complex evolution of slavery in Louisiana compared to other territories. So during this particular time, Louisiana had been ruled by the French from 1699 to 1763 when it was taken over by Spain. The Spanish maintained complete control of Louisiana up until 1800. At that time, it was transferred back to the French through treaties signed in 1800 and 1801. And then in 1803, France transferred ownership to the United States as part of the Louisiana Purchase. Slavery was introduced under the original French rule from 1699 to 1763. 
first enslaving Native Americans and then shipping over African slaves. And when Louisiana was under Spanish rule, starting in 1763, slavery of natives was eventually abolished. However, African slaves were still allowed, but they could potentially buy their freedom and the freedom of others. During a slave rebellion in 1795, multiple homes were burned down. 23 of the slaves who were caught were sentenced to death by hanging, and 31 slaves were sentenced to flogging, which is just basically being whipped over and over again, along with hard labor. The executed slaves were beheaded, and then their heads were put on pikes and displayed. Three white men were also put on trial for this particular rebellion. They were also found guilty and deported. Two of them were sentenced to six years of forced labor, which that obviously is not fair at all, but it just shows you how brutal it was back then. Like their, their laws and just their way of life and the way that they looked at things is just totally different. I mean, obviously they looked at one race below another and, you know, just looked at them as pretty much as animals, which is just so fucked to think about. But I don't know. It's just like, I couldn't even imagine living back in that period of time because of just how brutal it was and in all facets of life, but especially for Africans. From 1791 to 1804, the Haitian Revolution took place in the French-controlled colony of Saint-Domingue. Blacks, British, French, Spanish, and mixed-race people came together to overthrow the French rulers and won. It became the only revolt that led to an independent state free of slavery and ruled by former slaves and non-white rebels. Word of this successful revolution of former slaves spread throughout the world, making slave owners very nervous in the United States and the Caribbean. The U.S. took control of Louisiana through the Louisiana Purchase around the time the Haitian Revolution ended. In 1804, thousands of African slaves were brought by slave owners who fled from St. Domingue during the uprising. The importation of slaves to U.S. territories was eventually abolished in 1807 and 1808, but the demand in the South was high after the invention of cotton gin. Plantation owners needed slave labor to process cotton in the northern part of the territory and sugarcane in the south, and this demand led to the formation of the domestic slave trade. Thousands of slaves were sold and forced to move from one territory to another. The combination of brutal work conditions, poor treatment, and the addition of slaves brought to the area by the French led to the largest slave revolt to ever occur in the U.S., the German Coast Uprising. And during the 1811 German Coast Uprising, hundreds of slaves revolted. From January 8th to January 10th, a group of rebel slaves marched 20 miles from the German coast toward New Orleans, gathering as much as 500 slaves along the way. They were only armed with hand tools, axes, and a few firearms, but they ended up burning down plantations, houses, and crops as they marched along. Two white men were killed by the revolting slaves, and early in the revolt, slaves attacked Manuel Andre a plantation owner, and his son, Gilbert Andre. Manuel was seriously injured and Gilbert died. Later, Francois Trepanger was killed with an axe at his plantation. As a result, white militias formed, and when they found the rebel slaves, they attacked, killing about 40 to 45 slaves in a battle that lasted just 30 minutes. At the end of the battle, the rest of the slaves fled. With help from the Native American trackers and hunting dogs, the white militia searched for the remaining escaped slaves. Those considered the leaders of the revolt were murdered without trial. The militia believed that Charles de Slandes, the son of a white man and a slave, was the primary leader of this revolt. He was brutally tortured and murdered on January 11th. They chopped off his hands, shot him in both thighs, 
which shattered the bones in his thighs completely. After being shot several more times, he was bundled up in straw and roasted alive. The militia believed his screams would reach the slaves who were fleeing and would send a warning. That just shows you the brutality, man. Like That's just beyond anything we could even think of happening today. I know this kind of shit still happens today, but it's like this was happening all the time back then. It's just crazy. On January 12th, the militia captured and killed Pierre Griffet and Hans Wimprin, the alleged murderers of Gilbert Andre and Francois Trempanger. They were beheaded and then their heads were sent to Manuel Andre's plantation for his son's death. The militia continued to capture slaves and they were eventually put on trial. Many were executed by hanging or by firing squad. A few slaves were acquitted or returned to their masters. A total of 95 slaves, though, were killed either during the battle or by execution. Many were tortured and mutilated, and by the end of the month, almost 100 heads of slaves were displayed on pikes throughout 40 miles from the center of town to the countryside as a warning to others considering revolting. Plantation owners received a $300 compensation for each of their slaves who were killed. After this, Louisiana residents were much more welcoming to U.S. troops to help protect them from potential rebellions. Slavery in Louisiana during Madame LaLaurie's childhood and early adulthood shaped her overall view of slaves as human beings. And I I definitely would say that that is 100% true because she clearly did not see slaves as human beings at all. She clearly saw them as probably less than animals. Her paternal grandfather brought the family to New Orleans from Ireland around 1730 and quickly made a name for themselves. Madame LaLaurie was born into a family of great wealth and privilege operating a 1,344-acre plantation. The men were all landowners who had served in the military. Her father had even been knighted, and her mother was a beloved socialite known for lavish parties. Both of her parents were well-known and active participants in their community. She also had an uncle who served as the governor of the Spanish-American provinces of Louisiana and Florida, and a cousin who was the mayor of New Orleans. After her mother died in 1807, her father had a relationship with a free mixed-race woman, and they had a daughter together. Many men in the family had affairs and long-term relationships with free black mixed-race women, fathering many children. Over a decade before she was born, one of Madame LaLaurie's uncles was murdered by his own rebellious slaves. She was four years old when the Haitian Revolution began, but as the rebellion unfolded, newspapers regularly reported violence against whites, including murder, beheadings, rape, and torture. And throughout her childhood, she watched as people grew increasingly afraid of slave rebellions, which resulted in the harsher and harsher treatment of slaves to prevent uprisings. In 1800, as Louisiana was being transferred from the Spanish back to the French, Madame LaLaurie married the first of three husbands, Don Ramon de Lopez and Gula. Her 14th birthday was just a month before the ceremony. Wow. Very, very young. Don Ramon was a widower and a high-ranking officer of the Spanish crown. He was appointed consul general for Spain when the U.S. took over the territory in 1804. When he was called to the court of Spain, he took his pregnant wife with him on the journey, but he ended up dying unexpectedly in Havana. Madame Laurie gave birth to their daughter just a few days later and then went back to New Orleans. On March 19, 1807, she was remarried on her 20th birthday. Her mother had died just weeks before, and she received a generous inheritance. Her second husband was an attorney and shrewd businessman named Jean Blanc, who may have seen an opportunity to marry a wealthy woman. Her total inheritance was worth $2 million in today's money, and it included over $33,000, a plantation, farm equipment, 
livestock, and 52 slaves. After her and Jean Bloch got married, her new father-in-law gave them another plantation, additional property, and 26 more slaves. Jean Bloch also bought a two-story townhome for his new bride next to the bank where he worked. They ended up having four children together, three daughters and one son. But then he ended up dying in 1816 when he was just 50 years old, leaving behind over $160,000 in debt or $2.5 million in today's money. This was a pretty big deal for Madame LaLaurie because it caused her to struggle financially for many years afterwards. She ended up giving up his property and forfeited their shared assets, and she auctioned off what she could, including many slaves. During this time, eight of her slaves, mostly young women and children, mysteriously died, and no cause of death was ever determined for any of them. Still struggling with her deceased husband's debts, Madame LaLaurie received a second large inheritance when their father died in 1824. The next year, she met a young doctor in his early 20s named Leonard Louis Nicholas LaLaurie, and he was a chiropractor who aspired to destroy hunches. They quickly began a new relationship, which resulted in a pregnancy out of wedlock. They quickly got married in 1826 because it was definitely frowned upon to have a baby out of wedlock, and they claimed that they had the baby after, but it sounds like they actually had the baby before. And this was something that the upper class in society would definitely judge them on very harshly. And this would also be Madame LaLaurie's third and final known marriage. She was now 38 years old, which at the time was considered a much older woman. She was independently wealthy and able to buy and control her own property. She ended up buying a plot of land at 1140 Royal Street in New Orleans in 1831 and built a two-story mansion there, including separate slave quarters. Madame and Dr. LaLaurie fought often and were separated several times. A short time after the mansion was built, in the fall of 1832, Madame LaLaurie petitioned for a legal separation from Dr. LaLaurie. Three of her children backed up her claims that he was treating her poorly and that she was even being beaten by her husband. And sometime between that fall and the spring of 1834, he moved back into the mansion. Like her parents, Madame LaLaurie became a prominent and active member of the community and was well known in the upper class of New Orleans. She frequently hosted private parties, balls, and galas at the mansion, and her guests found her beautiful, charming, and generous. Her slaves who served at these events often looked tired, sickly, and miserable. But Madame LaLaurie was so pleasant and her parties were so fun that her guests looked the other way, even though they probably noticed they were invisibly being tortured. Many slaves lived and worked in the mansion throughout the years, and when Madame LaLaurie went out in public, she was polite and kind to her slaves, of course and she treated any black people she encountered the same way. When friends and acquaintances visited the mansion, they didn't witness any blatant abuse or violence toward the slaves. But Madame LaLaurie had a dark secret, and keeping up appearances didn't stop rumors from spreading. Many of the LaLaurie stories come from the writings of prominent British author Harriet Martineau. Harriet visited New Orleans in 1836 and documented stories she heard from local residents about Madame LaLaurie, and they were published in 1838 in a collection called retrospect of western travel britain ended up passing the abolition of slavery act in 1833 but the 13th amendment banning slavery in the united states wouldn't be passed until 1865 almost 32 years later and through her writing harriet martineau informed the english about the efforts of the u.s abolitionists and slavery in america including the treatment of slaves in the lalaurie mansion so now that we know a little bit about madame lalaurie and her past and kind of how maybe she came to be and think about humans and slaves. 
let's now dive into the dark underworld that is her mansion and just the brutal, brutal treatment of her slaves. Before we get into that, though, I do want to thank our sponsor for today, Care Of. All right, it's time to dive in to Madame LaLaurie's House of Horrors. So between 1830 and 1834, the deaths of at least 12 slaves at the LaLaurie mansion were documented, but those documents didn't include a cause of death for any of them. Later, at least two bodies were recovered from the mansion grounds. According to court records, Madame LaLaurie freed two slaves. Jean-Louis was set free in 1819 as part of her second husband's will. The second slave, DeVince, was liberated in 1832, likely as part of the social norm of freeing older slaves who had good records. The people who knew Madame LaLaurie gossiped about the neglected condition of her slaves and speculated about what might be happening behind closed doors. Unlike other southern states at the time, New Orleans had laws against cruel and unusual punishments inflicted on slaves. And in light of the rumors about Madame LaLaurie, an attorney was sent to the mansion for a sort of welfare check on the slaves. He also made sure Madame LaLaurie understood the laws against mistreating her slaves, but he ended up leaving without reporting any evidence of abuse. And even though these laws were on the books, physical punishments of slaves were still common. This means it would have taken pretty blatant evidence of torture for the case to go any further. But then in 1833, a neighbor watched as a 12-year-old slave girl named Leah appeared on the roof of the LaLaurie mansion and quickly jumped to her death. And the rumor in town was that the girl had been brushing her mistress's hair when she pulled on a knot. Madame LaLaurie was engaged and whipped Leah as a punishment chasing her onto the roof where she jumped. And apparently she was willing to take her own life in order to avoid the brutal punishment and torture that would have come. That's just so crazy to think that something as small as literally, you know, brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair. And yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have a knot here and there in their hair, right? So just the fact that that was the reason for that wicked punishment that scared this girl to death to where she had to jump off like, the top floor of the house and fall to her death. I mean, it just shows that Madame Lori probably had some serious anger issues and would just lose complete control over the littlest things. Yeah, seriously. I mean, she probably knew what was going to come and it was probably way worse than just jumping to her own death. And sadly, Leah ended up being buried in a well on the property by Madame Lori. And there was actually some neighbors that actually witnessed the burial and they were shocked at the sight of Leah's mutilated body. After this death, the family was investigated for cruelty against their slaves, and they were found guilty, charged a $300 fine, and forced to sell nine of their slaves. Unfortunately, these slaves ended up in the hands of one of their relatives, and Madame LaLaurie repurchased them, and they were brought back to the mansion. The stories of violence and torture of slaves at the hands of Madame LaLaurie continued to spread. Throughout the years, more and more disturbing details came to light. It's impossible to know everything that happened to the slaves who lived at the Lori Mansion, and some even say that maybe some of these stories are embellished or exaggerated, but others say all of it is true. What is known for sure is that the treatment of the slaves at the Lori Mansion reflected the sadistic cruelty of a woman raised in a cruel, brutal world that exploited whole races of human beings for profit convenience. And based on a number of verified accounts, Madame LaLaurie seemed to take a sick pleasure in torturing her slaves. She was actually a collector of torture devices, chains and shackles. Multiple shapes and sizes were in her collection to ensure she could always quickly and efficiently incapacitate her victims. One of her torture devices was an iron collar with razor-sharp spikes all around the inside of the collar. 
and by clamping a small enough size around a person's neck, the spikes would dig into the skin with every breath, and the only way to avoid being killed by the piercing spikes was to hold your breath. But either way, once this collar was on you, it was a sure death sentence. Clamping on a larger size only meant that that person could barely move and couldn't lay down without piercing their neck with the spikes. Iron masks that completely covered a person's face were used to prevent slaves from being able to eat at all. What's crazy is that many of these devices seemingly came straight out of medieval torture chambers. But sadly, these were commonly used outside of New Orleans by plantation owners to restrain and punish their slaves. On a regular basis as punishment, Madame LaLaurie regularly beat and whipped her slaves until they were covered in bruises and blood. Some slaves were beaten almost to death before she would stop. She would tie the hands of a slave to wooden stakes and whip them using a cat of nine tails, which is a torture device with multiple lashes tipped with sharp metal pieces. This punishment left a person bleeding and begging for mercy. After the beating, they were barely able to move their body. Once Madame Lori decided a slave was disposable, she chained them in an attic torture room on the mansion's third floor, where she inflicted even more barbaric acts of violence. Many of her favorite torture methods would have been extremely difficult, if not impossible, to do alone. And many people believe that she not only had another person helping her, who is unknown, but it could have even been her husband, Dr. LaLaurie. It's also even considered that Madame LaLaurie may have even forced her own children or even other slaves to help by threatening to do the same thing to them if they refused. Once inside her torture chamber, Madame LaLaurie regularly sliced people open and removed their organs. She would break their bones over and over again. And each time they healed, she would break the same bone again. This is absolutely sick, but she would even force humans or animal feces into a slave's mouth and then she would sew their lips shut one woman even had multiple bones in her arms and legs broken more than once her limbs were twisted outward and the bones reset making her look like a human crab she was kept in a tiny cage barely large enough to hold her madame lalori tortured and killed plenty of women slaves but she seemed to particularly hate the men and more often than not she decided to murder them in cold blood After chaining them up naked, she pulled their fingernails and toenails off one by one as they screamed in agony. She ripped away pieces of their skin, cut out their tongues, and even gouged out their eyes. As part of her torturous human experiments, Madame LaLaurie would use a hand tool to pierce through a skull. She would then widen the holes so the handle of a wooden spoon would fit inside. And then she would proceed to shove the handle through the hole and stir the brains like a boiling cauldron or even worse she'd push a hot fireplace poker through the hole what the fuck something is seriously wrong with madame lori for sure i think it's way beyond just you know she saw some fucked up shit as a kid she's clearly getting off to this so something's really wrong with her this is just disgusting man and it doesn't make sense why she's behaving this way because she was brought up through like a very wealthy family and you know, it seemed like she had like a really good life going on and everything like that. So what's she mad about? Exactly. Is it just, I I think it's definitely just, she looks at these people as not, you know, like objects or just throwaways, like disposable. She doesn't view them as the same level of being that she is clearly, but something else is really wrong with her brain for sure. 
And she obviously gets some sort of like a sick satisfaction from all these, you know, torture methods that she's pulling. But, you know, it doesn't make any sense why she would torture them like this to begin with, you know, because as a slave owner, wouldn't you want to have your slaves like fully functional to where they can perform the tasks that you need them to do as opposed to completely hindering, breaking their bones and, you know, taking away their, their ability to do things like yeah, that doesn't make it doesn't sense. make any sense at yeah. all. Like you would want, wouldn't you want your slaves to be, you know, like you and enjoy working for you to some, you know, level of extent. Like I know there was back in this period of time, there were slave owners that had slaves that actually liked their slave owners. And actually, you know, when I say that, I mean like they, at that particular time in history, you know, there was no other life than that, but they were being treated. Okay. They weren't being tortured. There wasn't anything really, really bad that was happening. But this is just on another level. This is just like, I, I feel like I'm reading a script for Saw or something, like a, a movie. I'm surprised there's not a horror movie like this. I know you said like there's American Horror Story. They did an episode like this. I haven't seen that yet, but I can only imagine how fucking brutal that is. And the American Horror Story, I mean, it, it was very hard to watch at certain points because they did show like a lot of this torture that was going on and even, Jesus. even like gouging out the eyes while they were still Damn. alive. And that's just, what's the most depressing thing about all of this was she would torture them when they were conscious and, you know, they had no way to get out of it. And, you know, it, it really makes me feel like shit, like watching that and hearing about this. Yeah. Oh, I know it's, it's definitely a downer for sure. I mean, she's basically no different than like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like she's a full on serial killer. She gets satisfaction from killing people and torturing people. And she feeds off of the pain and anguish that she causes clearly. And there's a power aspect to this too. I think she felt really powerful doing this. And again, we don't know for sure if she's doing all this stuff herself or if she's having somebody else do it for her. I, I think she definitely participated in this for sure. Cause she clearly, enjoyed doing this and i can't even imagine how her kids felt you know like yeah, seeing seriously. that hearing that like all of that screaming happening inside they had their to house know. like god that what a fucking terrible childhood to, to go through yeah you know yeah she's affecting more than just her her slave she's affecting her entire family by doing this and it's just beyond comprehension honestly especially this next part so like I said, she specifically had a very sick fascination with torturing men, and she liked to sexually torture them as well. As the men hung naked from the ceiling, she would slice pieces off of their genitals bit by bit before slicing them away altogether, just completely removing the genitals while the slaves are alive. And oh, this just... I literally can't sit still. Like, I don't know if you can tell if you're watching this, but I'm like shaking over here just reading this. Cause like, I'm just, all the thoughts are running through my head and just thinking about what these people went through. And it's just absolutely horrifying. I mean, I couldn't imagine a, a worse way to die than this. And she would literally cut their genitals off as they hung there on the wall. And then they just bleed out and eventually go limp. And then she would just leave their bodies chained up to rot. She didn't even bring them down and bury them. She just leave them up there and let them rot. And this brutal torture that she did didn't stop at just slaves she deemed disposable. She also chained her 70-year-old cook to the stove in the kitchen and starved her nearly to death. Even though this woman prepared all of the household meals, 
literally Madame Lori's life doesn't happen. She isn't even able to survive without these slaves. And yet she is just brutally murdering them. When Madame Lori's own daughters even tried to feed the cook or help any of the other slaves, she would whip and beat them as well. Within the LaLaurie mansion were also slaves kept in secret with no records tying them to the family. And Dr. LaLaurie may have used these secret slaves to practice Haitian voodoo medicine and potions to create more passive, obedient slaves who are easier to control. Some even theorize that it was Dr. LaLaurie who first introduced his wife to the violence and the torture, which makes Dr. LaLaurie sound like just this evil, mad doctor, scientist type individual who is like experimenting and wanting to they wanted to basically create completely obedient slaves, which reminds me of the movie Get Out, if you've ever seen that. It's not anywhere near to this level, but definitely see some inspiration there. One of the male slaves had experienced a witness too much torture at the hands of Madame LaLaurie, and he actually jumped from a third-story window of the mansion and died. And after his suicide, it was rumored that the window was cemented shut. The glass was never replaced, and even today... A solid block of cement remains where a window should be. Her mansion is still there in New Orleans today. I mean, you can go walk around it. I believe you can go inside of it too. I think there's tours for it as well. And yeah, you want to go? You want to go check it out? The only reason I'd be interested in going to check it out is to see if there is like any paranormal activity or, you know, if this place is haunted. Because I would think with all these negative events that took place, in this, uh, you know, mansion that that would be possible. But what blew my mind was when I found out the actor Nicholas Cage actually purchased this home at one point. I'm not sure if it's still under his name or not. Yeah, but. I think it's changed hands since then, but uh, I could be wrong. But yeah, that's interesting that he bought it at one point. Which why? Why would you want to own this place? I don't know. I mean, unless you're going to yeah. investigate paranormal activity or something, I guess like it'd be a good spot to purchase. But I just feel like it needs to be burned to the ground. Like, why is this place even standing still? Right. I couldn't even sleep one night in this place knowing, you know, what all took place. In hell there. no. I mean, what the fuck? No, hell no. I would never sleep here ever. Another common practice that Madame Lori implemented was starving her slaves. And those that were allowed to eat were fed only small amounts of gruel, which gruel is basically oatmeal mixed with some... Uh, eggs, water, looks disgusting. It's like peasant food, basically. Cereal meal. Ugh, just looks like slop. Disgusting. Yeah, this grill sounds absolutely disgusting. And it reminds me of that one time, you know, how when we were little, we're about to like hit up the rec center or something. Yeah. And our mom was like making us something called Malto meal. Yeah, Malto meal, dude. Like, oh, that yeah. shit was so fucking bad. Like, oh. I, I couldn't even, <laughs> I was I couldn't gagging. even get it down. I think yeah. I almost puked trying to take that down. And, and they were like, no, you got to eat your Malto meal. And like, we're like, give us a fucking oatmeal, man. <laughs> give us some oatmeal. Why are you trying to feed us this shit? Like, it was disgusting. I don't know if you've ever had plain ass Malto meal before, but it is disgusting. It, the taste, is just it makes you want to vomit honestly yeah that's that gruel shit definitely looks like malta meal it when does you compare dude oh i can't even imagine having to eat that disgusting in the lori mansion though the attic was the place where basically you did not return from and when madame lori was especially pissed off she would bring the slaves to the attic and then they would pretty much never be seen again once she got them up there she would often chain them up 
And then they just stayed there for an unknown amount of time, even after they had died. And it obviously didn't take long for the slaves to catch on that. Holy shit. We definitely don't want to go to the attic because once you go up to that top room in the mansion, you never come back. And again, the attic chamber is where the most brutal torture occurred. A common form of torture in the attic chamber was devised from one of the most painful and vindictive forms of medieval torture, the torture rack. In medieval times, people were forced onto a raised wooden plank. A pulley and a lever system would be used to slowly pull their limbs in two different directions. As the limbs were pulled, loud popping noises could be heard with each snap of cartilage, ligaments, or bones. First, the hips and the shoulders would dislocate, followed by the ankles, knees, wrists, and elbows. And as you were stretched further, the muscle fibers would tear. And at this point, the muscles would lose the ability to contract. And if that person being tortured is released, they would just collapse onto the floor because their muscles were literally ripped to pieces. Another favorite torture method of Madeline Lori was flaying people's skin. She would peel the skin slowly away, leaving behind gaping, festering wounds. One woman first had both arms chopped off. Then her skin was torn away in a circular pattern, which made her look like a human caterpillar after she was done. Madame Lori also used a sharp knife to slice away whole chunks from a slave's butt or sliced pieces of skin from around their joints. Using a knife or her bare hands, she would pull and tear at someone's ear until it was nearly ripped right off. Or she would slice through the cartilage multiple times, leaving the ear shredded and barely recognizable as a body part. When she craved an especially gruesome death, Madame Lori chained up a slave woman and sliced open her abdomen. Then she reached inside the wound and ripped out the intestines, wrapping them around the woman's body. She would then leave the corpse hanging forcing the other slaves to watch it slowly rot. As the number of dead bodies continued to pile up, the sight alone was enough to make someone physically sick, not to mention the stench. But Madame Lori didn't remove them. She just let them hang, chaining up slaves to torture and kill right alongside the corpses of their fellow slaves. Another torture method Madame LaLaurie would use was she would like chop up the slaves' limbs and, you know, re-sew them into different locations on their body. And there, there was a, a slave who was literally changed into like a, a human spider. Yeah. I think I'm seeing like, like a picture of it too. I, I think so. If, if I can find it, maybe I'll add it in here. Yeah, I've but seen it. It's, it's horrifying to think about. Yeah. Just completely rearranging people's body parts. And um, I, I just can't even. Why? Why? Why is she doing this? That's just, doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this to people? It just blows me away that Madame Lori is not brought up in, you know, along with all these other prolific serial killers out there. Like she should be right up there with Jeffrey Dahmer, with Ted Bundy, with, you know, Ed Kemper, with any of these other sickos that are out there. And it feels like she's just kind of left in the past. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that she tortured and murdered slaves. And, you know, if she was in a different time period, then you know, she would be considered uh, one of the most prolific serial killers of all time. But I just can't understand why she did all this to the people that were there to literally service her, you know, against their will. And she decided that this was how I was going to treat them. I just, 
it's really hard to wrap your head around. I think she was just a very, very sick individual. But then on April 10th, 1834, the LaLaurie mansion went up in flames. Madame and Dr. LaLaurie were hosting a party when it caught on fire, and the guests quickly fled. The 70-year-old cook, who was chained to the stove by her ankle and starving to death, couldn't take any more torture. But unlike other slaves, she couldn't jump to her death because she had no way of removing the chain. And Madame LaLaurie had threatened to take her to the attic chamber, and the cook knew that meant certain death. So she did the only thing she could think of to escape from this hell on earth, and she lit the kitchen on fire, hoping the flames and smoke would kill her. The police and fire marshals arrived on the scene soon after the fire started, and they noticed right away that Madame LaLaurie was saving her furs, her jewels, and other valuables from the fire by herself. There were no slaves around to help her, and when asked if her servants made it out safely, she snapped back at them, telling them that was none of their business. And then a well-respected judge named Jean-Francois Conand had arrived on the scene, and he was also surprised that Dr. and Madame LaLaurie weren't concerned about their slaves, and he asked them how the crowd could help get the rest of their household to safety. And Dr. LaLaurie waved him away and said, Some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. But at this point, everyone was getting very suspicious and knew something was going on because of the way Dr. and Madame LaLaurie were acting. A small crowd of neighbors had gathered and many of them were rushing into the mansion to help. And they heard people screaming from the mansion's top floor and they realized that the slaves were trapped inside. About a dozen men assembled, and they were ready to rush into the flames in order to rescue those who were trapped. But in order to rescue them, the men needed the keys in order to open the outside doors of the mansion, as well as the locked rooms inside. But Madame and Dr. LaLaurie refused to hand them over. And I'm sure at this point they're like, okay, something's really fucking going wrong here, and they just started breaking down the doors. Some of the slaves rushed from their quarters when the doors were unlocked, but the crowd still heard screams and moans from the top floor. It was coming from the attic chamber, and the rescuers were able to unlock the door and hurry through the doorway. They expected to find people collapsed from smoke inhalation who needed to be carried to safety. At worst, they thought they'd find people who had already been killed by the fire. But instead, what they did find was utterly shocking. The stench of death overpowered the smell of smoke and burning wood, so much so that several rescuers vomited immediately. Those with the strongest stomachs entered the torture chamber. Slaves were strung up by their necks, stretched from limb to limb, bruised, bleeding, and abnormally thin. The dead were horribly mutilated and in many cases chopped into pieces. The faces of corpses were mangled to the point of barely recognizable as human features. And those that could speak said that they had been shackled, beaten, tortured, and starved for months. The rescuers immediately broke through the shackles and chains and pulled the slaves who were still alive from the burning mansion. Some had been stretched beyond the use of their limbs or muscles and had to be dragged from the attic. Another slave that couldn't walk was an elderly woman who had a hole in her skull. She was weak and barely able to move. A similar wound was found in a man's skull, but it was overflowing with maggots. A younger woman had a heavy iron collar around her neck, and others wore collars that kept them from moving their heads at all, or heavy chains around their feet and legs that made walking nearly impossible. Inside the torture room were severed heads and limbs, loose organs, and just huge pools of blood. Some of the slaves were chained up while others were shackled to wooden tables or shoved into tiny cages. Among the slaves who were still alive, there were gouged out eyes, torn off ears, missing fingernails and toenails, flesh ripped from their bodies, rotting skin, and wounds filled with pus or lips completely sewn shut. 
and all of them were starving to death. Unfortunately, many of the slaves who were saved from the fire didn't survive very long, and they ultimately died from the injuries inflicted during the weeks or months of torture. During the rescue, officials found the cook collapsed on the kitchen floor and shackled to the stove, and they broke her free and pulled her from the burning mansion, and she ended up living to tell about the torture she had endured and witnessed. Word of the burning mansion of horrors spread quickly, and soon a mob of 4,000 people gathered and attacked the house. They smashed windows, beat down doors, and pulled out anything that wasn't burned, and as the mansion was burned and ripped apart, more bodies were found buried under the floorboards. And in the end, all that was left was the outside walls. When the corpses were removed from the mansion, they were naked, mutilated, and in pieces. Many of the slaves who survived were in so much pain and misery that they begged to be killed. After witnesses found the mutilated corpses, they dug up the property to find more victims. Some people say they witnessed only a few dead bodies, while others claim Madame Lori murdered hundreds of slaves. Newspapers throughout the North and South cover the story of the deranged woman who systematically tortured and murdered her slaves, and from there the legend grew. The slaves who survived the torture of Madame Lori were brought to the local city hall. People who wanted to see proof of what had happened and how much suffering had taken place traveled from all over to view the mutilated and disfigured former slaves of the Lori mansion. Those who saw the mangled bodies and helped free the tortured slaves were still alive demanded justice. They wanted Madame Lori dead, and rightfully so. But while the angry mob was ripping apart the mansion, she tried to flee, like a coward. Her coach driver and enslaved man named Bastion stayed loyal to his mistress and quickly brought the carriage around to help her escape. People in the crowd saw her stepping onto the carriage and tried to pull her down. They blocked the horses and scrambled to get to Bastion. But he whipped the people in the crowd, and when they backed off, he took off. He took Madame Laurie to the docks on Lake Pontchartrain, and from there she took a boat to Mobile, Alabama. She stayed the night in Mobile. Dr. LaLaurie met his wife there and together they fled to his native country and settled in Paris. At least three of her children joined her in exile. Other relatives also joined the family in Paris shortly after. In a letter from her son to his brother-in-law, he wrote that his mother wanted to return to New Orleans. He said she was determined to get back there. It's believed that her children and other relatives talked her out of leaving Paris and she never returned to New Orleans. Dr. LaLaurie was frustrated by her constant complaints, and he eventually left her and moved to Havana. By some accounts, Madame LaLaurie didn't seem to remember or understand why she had left New Orleans or why she couldn't go back. She could have had a mental illness or dementia. I think either or or both is probably true. Or it could have all been an act in order for her to maintain her innocence. Other accounts claim she did return to New Orleans and continued murdering people as an underground serial killer. She may have even faked her own death in Paris so she could come back to New Orleans. The exact cause and date of Madame LaLaurie's death are unknown. However, three potential stories have been documented. One popular story is that she was killed in an accident while boar hunting in France. And this story was documented by American novelist George Washington Cable in 1888. A discovery in 1924 suggested she died years later in 1842, a century after the LaLaurie family fled the U.S. The Sexton of St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 in New Orleans, Eugene Bax, found a cracked copper plate amongst the gravestones, and this plate read, Madame LaLaurie, born Marie Delphine McCarthy, died in Paris December 7, 1842. However, Paris's French archives list her date of death as December 7, 1849, when she was 62 years old. But after the LaLaurie mansion was severely damaged by the fire and destroyed by the mob, 
It was just left in ruins, and it stayed this way for at least four years until it was bought and rebuilt by Pierre Trastor around 1838. Over the years, the building has had several additions, including a full third story on the main building and a one-story building in the back. A second story was eventually added to the back building as well. The mansion has underwent multiple renovations, but the main structure has stayed the same since it was rebuilt in the 1800s. And the mansion has been put to good use through the years. It's been a public high school, a music school, a juvenile reform school, an apartment building, a bar, a furniture store, and at some point it was redesigned to serve as luxury apartments. And like Joel mentioned earlier, actor Nicolas Cage bought the mansion in 2007 for $3.45 million, but just a few years later in 2009, he filed for bankruptcy because when was the last time you saw Nicolas Cage in a movie? <laughs> Love Nicolas Cage, man. And the mansion was listed for auction and bought by Regions Financial Corporation for only $2.3 million. And the current owner doesn't allow visitors and has no interest in opening the mansion to the public, which is very interesting because I'm like, that seems like, you know, if you wanted a cash grab, that would be a great way to do it. Haunted mansion. Cause obviously there is hauntings reported here. There's paranormal activity reported here. So, you know, why wouldn't you turn that into a haunted attraction? I feel like that would be, but maybe that maybe this owner actually has some, you know, he has some respect for those that died in this place. And he's like, I just don't, you know, it needs to be shut down and nobody needs to, to go into it. It doesn't need to make money. Honestly, I'm surprised this building hasn't been torn down. Like why not just completely destroy it? Maybe they're keeping it for historical, you know, significance as a landmark or something. But to me, I'm just like, burn this fucking place down should be decimated because guess what? It is one of the most haunted buildings in New Orleans. And in 1894, after it was restored and turned it into an apartment building, a tenant was viciously murdered under suspicious circumstances. His room had been ransacked, but nothing of value was taken. And the man's friends said he had been complaining about spirits in the house and swore a demon would eventually kill him. In the mid to late 19th century, the mansion was converted into an all-girls school for black students. That's fucking ironic. The girls were about six to eight years old and had never heard the story of the building. Thank God, because they probably would have never returned to that school. But many of the students reported being attacked by a mysterious phantom. They would run crying to their teachers with scratches and bruises all over their arms. And when asked to attack them, the girls always answered, that woman. The teachers would immediately search for the perpetrator, but no one was ever found. The death and depravity that occurred on the spot where the mansion stands are beyond comprehension. And the lingering spirits of the dead have frequently made their presence known to modern day tourists. Tour guides have experienced multiple strange incidents. During one tour, a guide was standing with her group across the street from the mansion when she suddenly felt a tug on the messenger bag she had over her shoulder. She immediately assumed someone was trying to steal her bag and she turned quickly to yell at them, but no one was there. She composed herself and continued, but again, someone tugged on her bag. This time the tug was quicker and more forceful. She spun around and this time she was sure someone was messing with her, but again no one was there. A tour guide was talking to a group while standing under a broken streetlight near the mansion in another strange incident. When she told the story of the slave girl who jumped to her death to avoid the wrath of Madame LaLaurie, the streetlight flickered on the second. The guide said her name, Leah. Several people gasped, and the light had been burnt out for weeks, but now it was on brighter than ever. It's very interesting. Perhaps maybe Leah's spirit is still there. I, I can imagine that, you know, if you believe in sites and locations and buildings being haunted or, you know, spirits that weren't fully able to cross over to the other side are still, you know, 
lingering there or imprints or whatever you believe it's interesting that that street light came on because maybe that was a sign from leah maybe leah's spirit is still there in some way shape or form and it was just a sign to show that she's there you know be creepy to see but i think if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense that that would be leah giving a sign that you know she's there but apparently when the guide said leah's name a second time the light suddenly blew out which obviously freaked everybody in the group out for almost 200 years visitors and residents of the lorry mansion have experienced bizarre and terrifying things the spirits of the slaves who were tortured and murdered have been heard moaning and screaming from the top floor and invisible footsteps roam the halls Anyone near the mansion can be suddenly overwhelmed by a deep feeling of dread. In one case, a medium was on a ghost tour, and this woman experienced strange sensations during the tour. As the group approached the Lori mansion, she gasped and said, Such sadness. Her words were like a reflex to the energy she felt. Then this woman had a sudden realization about the window that was cemented shut. She said, The bricked-up window. That's not where the little girl fell out of. The tour guide was startled because she didn't mention Leah yet. The medium was right. Leah had actually fallen into the courtyard from a different side of the mansion. The medium felt the sadness overwhelm her again, and a heavy emotion weighed her down. She said she could feel the presence of two spirits, a boy who played pranks on people who visited the mansion and a nervous little girl. The medium didn't feel anger or helplessness. She believed that whatever spirits haunted the mansion were not related to Madame LaLaurie and her tortured slaves. Which that's an interesting thought because maybe, you know, there is so much, you know, spiritual presence there that perhaps other spirits are drawn to that location. You know, maybe they're curious as to what happened or why there's so much, you know, dread there. Why is there so much, you know, if they hear scream, if their spirits literally screaming there, then, you know, maybe that's drawing other spirits to, to the mansion. It's also important to note that many of the slaves who did die inside that house did not receive like a proper burial. They were just, you know, buried out uh, on the land by the house. So, you know, they weren't in a cemetery or anything like that. Like seems like Madame LaLaurie would just, you know, find a place out in the yard and just bury them there, which if they didn't find all the bones at this point in time, then maybe there's some of that in play that could, you know, cause these hauntings as well. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, for sure there's, you know, if you believe in hauntings at all or imprints of spirits, like I think a hundred percent that there's definitely so much just, you know, so many spirits there that haven't been able to fully cross over because they are that, that the last moments of their life was just so torturous, so painful that, you know, they're angry and they're not able to move on because they want, you know, maybe they want revenge on Madame LaLaurie or maybe they just, you know, there's so much, energy there that they're just tied to it and they can't free themselves from that place which is sad to think about that you know you think of death as this freeing thing but maybe if you know depending on your situation if you go out of life in such a way that many of these slaves did that maybe you know you're not completely free and you're still tied to this place which is horrible to think about but i don't know i mean that's just one way i can think about how you could explain some of the paranormal activity that's here I mean, a part of me also thinks that maybe Madame LaLaurie, you know, part of her spirit haunts this place as well. And maybe she still has control over these people to some extent. I mean, for all we know, there's, you know, definitely some negative energy here. There's definitely probably some evil energy that still lingers within this house. And that's just why I'm like, burn this shit down. Like this shit needs to be gone. Like, why are we still preserving this place? Like there's a way to completely eradicate all of this. And why hasn't it been done yet? 
It's just like, you know, just burn it to the ground. But one woman named Annie who lived in the mansion when she was a young girl has said her family experienced a lot of strange things. She said that they would hear pots and pans clanging in the kitchen when no one was there. And her father woke up in the middle of the night to see a man in a top hat lurking from behind a chair. One day when Annie was walking home, she saw a young girl sitting on the roof watching her and she was immediately terrified. Annie ended up going back to the mansion as an adult to make peace with it. And as she walked up to the home, she was literally knocked to the ground. The modern day caretakers of the mansion also have reported seeing many odd things. Doors close and door handles turn on their own. They often hear strange, unexplainable sounds when no one else is around. And of course, paranormal investigators have visited the mansion and experienced disturbing events firsthand as well, including overwhelming emotions and feeling suddenly dizzy. Investigators have even used a 3D mapping camera that maps out human figures using a laser grid to study the house's paranormal activity. This technology can sense when figures are human versus an animal or a piece of furniture. And in the mansion, the 3D mapping camera identified a small human figure near a chair. And when an investigator went near it, the air felt cold. So clearly more evidence of paranormal activity. A recent visitor to New Orleans brought her 11-year-old son on a ghost tour. He wasn't an emotional kid and rarely cried. But as they stood outside the LaLaurie mansion, he started crying hysterically. He said he saw a little girl in a white dress standing on a balcony and was instantly terrified. People often see ghosts and spirits moving past the windows and feel an overpowering negative energy when near the mansion or inside. A young housekeeper who didn't know the mansion's history had several odd experiences while working there. She was overwhelmed by the smell of rancid meat but found nothing that might have caused the smell. And the smell eventually faded. She's claimed she's heard chains being dragged and dropped along the floorboards when no one else was around. And on multiple occasions she's heard a young girl running and screaming and someone chasing her. Sometimes a person chasing her would even yell, get in here, in a woman's voice. And that's just some of the stories of paranormal activity that have been experienced in or around the, the LaLaurie Mansion. I think at the end of the day, it's very, very clear that this is a very negative place. I mean, there's absolutely so much trauma and pain and death wrapped up in this place. And I can't even imagine what it would feel like to be inside of it. I'm sure it'd be sick just being in this place for very long. And I don't know. I personally think they should burn this place down and just, you know, we'll never forget what happened to these poor, poor people that were tortured and murdered in this place. But I think for the sake of everybody, I think it needs to be torn to the ground. What do you think? Definitely. The quicker they burn this whole place down, I think, uh, you know, any type of paranormal activity will just move on and you know, the, the past can remain the past and this can no longer, you know, be a place for spirits to dwell in. Yeah, exactly. It's like shut it down, like stop letting the tape keep play over and over again. I mean, if you know anything about paranormal activity, imprints are like just a replay playing over and over again. And, you know, if you burn it all to the ground, then maybe you can eliminate that so that they're, you know, the activity goes away and, you know, the spirits are able to finally move on and be free and, and yeah, I mean, rid this place of this evil, evil house where Madame LaLaurie and Dr. LaLaurie, two evil individuals, very sick individuals. I'm sure if we were able to take a look at her brain today, we would definitely find severe mental illness here. I think clearly there's some something very, very wrong with Madame LaLaurie. But you guys will have to definitely let us know what you think of Madame LaLaurie. Is there any other stories that you've heard that maybe we didn't cover? But this is just a really, really dark one, that's for sure. And as always, you know, 
I know there's people out there that have family members that are tied to this place. So I can only imagine, you know, how hard that must be to, to know that their family members and ancestors went through the, this torturous place. And, you know, our thoughts are always with them, but that is the story of Madame Lori and her mansion of horrors. With that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Go check out the merch, go follow us on iTunes and Spotify. And until next time, lights out, everybody.